Hello. Welcome to We're Only Human. I'm Tim John. Can we talk for a moment? Because I was going to say I'm so excited. And can we talk for a moment about how that phrase, and specifically the word excited, is way overused? It might just be my vocabulary, and I don't have a synonym for excited handy, but I am excited. But let's think of a different word. I'm enthused. I'm enthralled. I'm giddy. I'm all of the above. Because Lizzie, Lizzie is here today. And Lizzie Guido is someone who we worked together at Active Campaign. And I'll never forget, we she joined the company during the COVID era. So she was a remote person. Like we weren't in the office. We were all remote. And the first thing she did was schedule time to talk with you know all sorts of people across the company. And I remember I'm sitting out in my backyard and she pops on the screen. And for a half hour, we just talk about life. Probably longer than a half hour. We just talk about life, about her aspirations, about me, about just everything. And it was one of the most genuine connections I've ever had with a human being. And so when I said, I'm going to, we're going to do season two of We're Only Human, we're going to explore who we are as people. We're going to answer the question, who are you? I immediately in my Trello board of, of ideas for guests, I threw Lizzie in. I mean, it was probably days after I decided we're going to do this season. And I knew that she was someone who would have an amazing perspective on life. And so Lizzie is here. We're going to hear that amazing perspective, but to make sure we can hear it, we got to do a quick sound check. What did you have for breakfast this morning? I had coffee and water. Coffee and water. I've never heard that one. Usually it's always just (laughs) coffee. If people drink coffee for breakfast, it's just straight up coffee. Today it was both. Um, Yep. Staying up till one in the morning, painting crown molding had me a little like (laughs) just dehydrated. Today I'm joined by Lizzie Guido. She's a daughter, sister, wife, partner marketing manager at Active Campaign. And when I think Lizzie, when I was thinking of like, how would I put Lizzie Guido into my own words? These are not the most eloquent words, but I thought you are like the epitome of a kind, genuine, helpful person. Like when I first connected with you at Active Campaign, I remember you like set up a call to chat. Like we were, you were new to the company, and uh, I don't I think you were just setting up chats to chat with people and like. I remember we just sat down and like chatted about nothing work related, just life and your aspirations for like being involved in local government. And I just thought this is someone who like truly wants to change the world for the better, like like truly has the best intentions and is going to act on them. So that's how I would describe you. But if someone asked you the question, who are you? What would you say? Mm. Well, thank you for sharing that that is your uh, perception of me, because I think um, I think you're pretty on the nose of who I'm who I'm like trying to be on this planet. I have I have um, a super, super, super strong desire to what I describe as always write my own story. Um, I like that. The more I learn about myself, about the environment in which I was raised in, the environment in which all of us are raised in as Americans, the more I learn, have learned that um, many, many of these environments were built so that I, I was never aware that someone else was writing my own story. So um, Thank you for sharing that you believe I'm like this kind person that cares about other people. And I would say that that is me. Um, so who, who am I? <sighs> yeah, I am. I, I believe that I'm about a third of the way through my story that I am at a point where um in real time, I'm figuring out like who that person will be in the rest of the two thirds of the story. I have this, uh, I have this thing I say to myself, you know, that if like, if, if today was the last day, 
was there anything you hadn't done yet? Um, and I want that answer to always be no, right? I want that answer to always be, um, yeah, that, that I have used my time on this planet for some reason. And, and recently, um, I, I, I started my life on a pretty, um, upper middle class white kid from Illinois path. And, um, early, 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 early in my life, I think I would have said something like, um, uh, playing sports really well is, is the point of my life. Like who I want to be <laughs> at the end of it. Um, that didn't, last, not, that didn't that last is, long. That is not who I am anymore. <laughs> no, no, it was just, it was just the path I was put on. So now, um, yeah, I am. I really like those, those uh, quizzes that help like spit out like who you are, what makes you happy. And I recently took one that spit out that I am an advisor that I am at my happiest when I'm put into situations where um, someone is struggling with something and I have already either overcome that in my own life or learned about how others overcome that in theirs. And I find a great amount of joy by just connecting those two dots for people, like sharing how I personally overcame that one struggle or making that person aware that actually like you may have been trained that A and B were the solutions in all your life, but there's actually C through Z (laughs) available as well. You, you are the one you've been looking for all of your life, you know, frozen two all the way. Um, And I say that's, that is me. That is me. I, it's never mattered like what I was doing, but it was always very important that everywhere I was in life, I was leaving a better place than it had been before. Um, so yeah. So right now that's in corporate America. I've went to school for, um, marketing and learned pretty quick that, um, uh, partner marketing is something I could be like good at and, um, make the amount of money I needed in my life to like have the life I wanted outside of work. Um, but it, but it's, uh, does it make me happy? Definitely not. So, um, so yeah, so that's what I'm figuring out next is ideally, um, I want to open my own community movie theater and make a space for people who, um, you know, I think COVID has taught us that we are, we are communal creatures, right? We need these spaces in our neighborhoods to be with each other. And uh, yeah, if I can, if I can leave corporate America and and this last place I've worked is, you know, somehow a little bit better um, because I was there and then take those learnings into my own small business figure out how to make like good living wages for people, figure out how to make like a space where, you know, grandmas can like walk down the street and take their kids to the movies. And then after that run for public office on this platform of like, Hey, I'm someone who was given a whole lot of opportunities. And the best I was able to figure out was, um, you know, working for the man and then being my own boss and then having to be a politician to change the rules so that others could actually like find the happiness that they were looking for. Um, I want to be one of the last generations of adults to do this fight. I think uh, happiness in America is entirely possible. It's, it's really just down to um, bravery and I'm willing to be brave. I'm willing to be brave. I love that. I have to disclaim here that I have still not seen Frozen 2. And you've just reminded me I need to see it. You do. That question that you mentioned earlier that you ask yourself regularly, do if today was the last day, you know, have I lived it to the fullest? Or is there anything left that I would would have wanted to do? Yeah. Uh, that's a heavy question. Is that something you ask yourself like every day or every week? Or uh, I'm just thinking that's a that's a heavy question to be asking yourself regularly. It is heavy. Yeah. Um, and I do, <laughs> I do I ask it every day. I don't know. I don't know why 
Um, but I do know that I didn't ask it for a very long time. I didn't. And that actually scares me a lot more than the heaviness of that question. I think the, I, I see the unconsciousness everywhere. I see the, um, that story of like, oh, I woke up one day and I realized I've been working in an industry for X amount of years. And I, I didn't actually know what happiness was. I didn't actually know who I am. Um, I realized that was me. <laughs> I realized that was me like um, probably earlier than most. But ever since I realized it, I, it, it's too important of a question not to ask myself because it is true. I mean, what, what other reminders do you need than um, life and death in your own life, right? You know, someone who's died, you know, someone who's uh, been sick, you know, someone who's had an accident, all of us do, right? But we dissociate from that. We dissociate from that concept of like, oh, these years we have here will end. I think that's like partially an American thing. I think that's a bit of a Western culture thing. And uh, that scares me a lot more than asking myself a, a real question based in real life. I, I know <laughs> at one point I will face my last day. So, yeah. So, I don't know. I don't find it to be like as heavy the more I ask. Um, because what, I'm, what I've been able to get out of it is, is way, way more than maybe the anxiety cost of asking myself that question. I think the hardest part is just asking it for the first time. But after I asked it the first time, now yeah. now it's just a normal question. I was going to say, is there any anxiety cost left? Because it's probably such a part of your routine now that it might actually feel odd not to be asking yourself that. Big time. Yeah. Yeah. In those moments, I think, oh no, you know, have I started to sell out again? Have I started to to buy in to something that's against my own heart, my own happiness. Yeah. That scares, that scares me way more. Now it's just a, it just is tomorrow could be my last day. Could be in 40 years. Regardless though, like no regrets, <laughs> you know? Yeah. I get the feeling, or I get the sense that you hold yourself to such a high standard of, I don't want to say of living, maybe just a being like, like you, what I mean by that is it's like, you know, you're a human being, we're all human beings and we get X amount of time here. That's just biology until we can figure out this cryologically frozen stuff. And you, you seem to have this sense of like, I need to make sure that that time I have here, that I am doing the most I can with it, like maximizing my talents, my impact, like the blessings I've had, the opportunities I've had, like, is that accurate to say? Yes. And I think that's fueled by two things, primarily two truths um, within me, which is I believe that um, I believe that others had this opportunity to do it for me while I was a child and they did not. And so therefore I am the grown up now. I, I do not have kids. But um, I exist in this world where where children live, right? And they truly yeah. will they truly will inherit it from us. Um, so I do, yeah. I it's very personal to me. I feel almost um, um, I don't know. That anger would be the right word, but it, it is pretty frustrating to um, for me a lot to know that um, there are still, yeah, the world that I inherited is one that, that grownups were not um, responsible enough with. And so therefore I don't want to be another generation of those grownups where the, the children are inheriting a pile of trash that we give them and say, figure it out. Um, but then the other thing that's also true, that's, I guess, is the like, what I don't want to happen. What I think is also really important um, uh, 
my mom was born into poverty. And um, because of that, I have always uh, seen what poverty looks and feels like. It's, it's never been an abstract concept. These are my cousins. These are my grandparents. You know, these are my, I just visited my grandparents and they were like, oh, you know, let's, let's go get a nice dinner. Let's get pizza tonight. And they had me go pick up pizza at um, the place down the street. And they were like, this is the best pizza place in town. Like, yeah, I can't, can't wait to share it with you. And I went and picked it up and the pizza place was in a gas station. Um, and it's that sort of heaviness, I think, that is, um, it's real. I, I want to fix that. I want to change that. I don't, I don't, I know what it means to be like um, unlucky enough to be born into poverty, right? And so what my mom did with the tools that she was given was she used sales to get up and out of it. She uh, got a really good sales job, made enough money to um, set myself and my brothers up to enter the middle class, arguably the upper middle class. And, um, you know, it is on her shoulders that I carry a great amount of responsibility as well. I know what it would look like if I personally were ever to like fall back into poverty, into that way of being. Um, and I think it would be disrespectful almost for me to take that gift that she gave me and not use it to make it even better for the next generation. Your mom sounds like an amazing human being. That's pretty cool. You should have her on the show next. (laughs) Would she be happy? Uh, Pretty cool to be described as pretty cool. Yes. Yeah. (laughs) I, I think that's such a, what a, I was just picturing in my head when you described you know, your grandparents taking, getting the pizza from the, and then it's the gas station. Like that's such a, such a shift in perspective. Like, cause you're right. Like, I mean, I've been given so much opportunity in this life. And like, I mean, I was arguably probably born in opportunity, right? Like I was born into a family that was already at a certain class and this concept of poverty, as you describe it, like, yeah, I don't have any direct, like other than, many, many degrees of separation from it. Like there's no direct connection to it. And that's just, when you, when you were describing that, it just really put it in perspective for me. Like that's, I also yeah. saw the joy in your face though, of your grandparents, like sharing that with you and like how much that must've meant to them. Yeah. I mean, a lot of people ask are, are a bit surprised that um, like wealth inequity is something that drives me quite a bit more than maybe other issues as a queer person, it's like an answer you would expect um, from someone like me is, you know, I'm standing on the shoulders of, of giants who helped make my marriage um, even possible today. And while that is, while that is true, um, I think uh, how poor you can be in the United States is, um, it's something we should all be very embarrassed of and we should not be able to dissociate from it. And so um, what you're describing that your, you know, your own family does not have a connection to it. Um, that's what we need to fix, you know, cause I don't think humans ever change unless issues are personal to them. If they can so them. true. Yeah. And uh, I live in Seattle, Washington right now. So an issue that, Uh, we talk about constantly is homelessness, people experiencing homelessness. We have quite a bit of like um, unhoused people living in my neighborhood, like on streets and stuff. And I, I didn't grow up around that in Illinois. I never saw homeless people. I grew up in Naperville, Illinois. And so I started digging into that. I was like, why, you know, why do I feel this way when I see someone struggling um, on the corner? And why do I feel like, um, a, a version almost like why, why am I sometimes I'm scared like, yeah. why am I scared of that person yeah. I mean this is someone like living in their car with like three whole shirts right what why is that and the more I dug into that the more I realized oh I never saw people experiencing homelessness in Illinois in Naperville 
because it is illegal to be homeless in Naperville. So therefore, as a child, I never had people experiencing homelessness in my community. I never, I never actually saw them and got to see them as because children see people experiencing homelessness in a very different way than adults do, right? Children say, why? Why is that person on the corner? Why is why don't they have a house? Like what for some someone taught us to stop saying why and instead uh, be fearful. And and that's uh that's something we can undo, you know, we can personalize the <laughs> the struggle. And if that's, you know, I'm personally in marketing right now, if just like making the struggle more visible is part of the solution, I'm here for it. We should, but what scares me the most is like, I talk about, I I talk to my wife about this a lot. I'm like, you let me know the minute I stop feeling sadness towards those folks. Like, The minute you start to hear me putting anger on on people who are like living in their cars, the minute you hear me start to blame them for issues that we have going on in the world, this least resourced person (laughs) in my community, um, I want to know about that because someone turned off all of our collective like human response to that situation and um i'm not strong enough to fight against that big machine but i will be disappointed in myself if i stop feeling um that deep sense of sadness towards someone who needs my help right because i would really 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 wish that if our roles were reversed that they would want to help me right oh i'm just Lizzie, you've inspired me so much. I'm just thinking what you said about children is so true because the other day, a couple weeks ago, I was with my kids in the car. My daughter, she's seven, and she was sitting behind me. So I'm driving. She's behind me. We're at an off-ramp getting off the expressway in the left. It's a one-way. So we're on the left side of the street going to make a left. And you know, it's pretty common in Chicago. There's a lot of homeless people. And you go on the off-ramps, and they're often there. Um, you know, asking for for money or anything, and there was a gentleman there um, holding out a cup, and she asked me, and she said, "Why is that person there holding out a cup?" And I explained, you know, they might be homeless or you know down on their luck, and and she said, "Well, can we give them some money?" And I said, "I don't, I don't have any cash on me. Like I never carry cash." And she really, like you said, she was just asking why, and she was really struck by it, and she's asked about it since, and you just like. You inspired me just, um, I think it was this weekend when they came over, she said something along the lines of like, oh, I forgot my money. And I said, well, what money? She said, for the cup. I forgot my money to give to the cup. And she was talking about the next time we see someone on the road with a cup. And what what you just inspired me to do, Lizzie, because you're right. I have the ability here to to help shift her perspective on that and like help her grow up in a way where she, because you said we all start to stop saying why. And like, I hate admitting it, but like my initial thought when she was saying that was like, no, we can't give them money. Like we don't, you know, they might not, use, you know, you have all these cynical thoughts that pop into your head that you've been groomed almost. You know, I bet my dad is the one who mostly intentionally or not intentionally, but I think just hearing from him. Anyway, what I've decided, Lizzie, is over on my dresser, I have some, um, I'm not a cash person. I'm, I'm very much like a digital. So I have, you know, whenever I get cash, it just sits in my dresser. And I just thought to myself, as you were talking, I'm going to grab that cash. I'm going to get it into like $1 bills of some sort. And I'm just going to use it as like a fund for my daughter that whenever we see the cup person, we can give a little bit. And maybe that'll... Thank you. I'm, that just thank you. You're so welcome. I think um, my... I was having a discussion with my friend recently, and she was really going down the spiral of like, well, why don't they... Why doesn't that person, you know, why why aren't you just getting a job? Like, what's the big deal? And the classic case. And I think that the, what I was saying earlier, how there's always, there's always another way, right? There's always more than just the ways we've been conditioned to believe we can solve this other human being (laughs) struggle. And the one that's really helping me in those moments is like, why don't I have more options? I'm a member of my community. I pay taxes. I 
vote for officials who are supposed to keep me and my entire community safe? Why is the only option that I have in this moment to put dollar bills in a jar for my kid the next time my kid sees a homeless person to be able to give them like a person experiencing homelessness to be able to give that person $1. Why is that the best solution that we can come up with? That's where I start to point my anger. Once I start to realize like, Oh, 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 there's actually folks like benefiting off of this situation. Oh, you know, that's, that's where I'd love if, you know, if I died tomorrow, like I would love for that to be true, that grownups are no longer perpetuating the, we can't help that person. Just, you know, just be quiet. Like yeah, I'm overwhelmed exactly. and I don't have the tools to be able to deal with the situation perfectly. So I'm going to pass that on to my child to perpetuate. Let's break that right now. Let's yeah. Let's set up the cup for our kids. And then let's go find more answers as grownups. <laughs> let's yes. go ask our politicians why there are more <laughs> uh, options. And maybe there are. Maybe we learn something in that moment that there's actually a hotline in our neighborhood that like it's at the community center that we, we could actually like help bridge that person to find housing, bridge that person to find their first job. I find that to be much more fruitful than the, um, self bludgeoning why you know why i can't actually why i fear feel powerless in this moment because someone is so down on their luck and next to me and showing it to me i like that you're you feel similar to me in this respect that like you're someone who's like how do we take action how do we like complaining doesn't really do anything like other than the initial awareness of a problem after that complaining is completely useless like how do we shift that complaining into actual action or brainstorming of possible action? Yeah. And, and also like um, that point right before the action, why do I think this is super important? Um, because the action, that's where we actually cause a lot more ally harm is when we jump to the action too fast. I think what a lot of underrepresented communities are asking for right now is for if you do not belong to that community, the homeless people uh, experiencing homeless community right now, um, it's amazing how much of an impact we can make within our own friends and families and circles by just asking ourselves like, hmm, Why, you know, why, why do I, um, why do I feel like I need to take action right now? That, that can be pretty enlightening as well, because, um, I know there have been many times in my life when I took action too early or I took action based off of something I believed, but wasn't actually me responding to someone asking for help. Um, and now as a adult queer person who is constantly asking folks not in my community for help in very specific ways and then seeing them just help in the way that they think is, is best. <laughs> um, I don't want to be one of those people either. So like the, the why am I thinking this and who am I actually serving is a really good step right before the action as well, I find. Wow, that's so key. You, uh, speaking of your, your wife earlier, um, when we were messaging back and forth, you know, talking about doing this, uh, getting you on the podcast, you had mentioned about her working at the hospital and um, obviously in these, you know, pandemic times still, um, you, you mentioned how it's really important that you each catch each other when the other needs it. And that phrase, catch, catch each other, like really stuck with me. I I just, I love that visual of like you two as a partnership. And I think, I think what I loved about it was it was sort of this symbol to me of, of any great relationship where you literally are catching the other one when they need it. And I was curious, like, how do you, how do you catch each other when the other needs it? Like, what does that mean to you? <laughs> well, I'd say that's something we are always working on because we, um, we often define our relationship as, 
two main characters got together and formed an alliance. <laughs> um, so I love that description. <laughs> I will start it there. What what her catching me means when is always different. So, um, but regardless, I think something we agreed to early in our relationship was that like being being a ride or die was important to both of us. Um, and that's how it manifests for us is, um, uh, two, two ways really. So one, <laughs> I grew up in an environment where teasing was very normal. Um, so, uh, something I've asked in our relationship is never tease me to get a laugh for yourself. You know, never put me down to get a laugh for yourself. And I see that a lot with couples. You are hanging out in a group environment and your spouse says one thing that you thought was a little silly and you have that opportunity to either like correct them in real time in front of all your friends, um, tease them <laughs> in real time in front of all your friends or just support them and talk about it later in private. <laughs> so that is my request is that we always do option three. Um, but then as far as catching, it's like, I used, I used to think it was like someone always had to be the rock. Like if one of us was unraveling for some reason, by default, the other had to just like tighten up, get strong, like do whatever yeah, it took to always like, be there supporting, be the team. Yeah. Um, but where that breaks is like, what happens when we're both going through hard stuff together? <laughs> um, there's this illusion that there's no space for like both of us to be struggling at the same time. And that's something we're working on right now is actually like catching each other while we're both unraveling. And I'm happy to report that it can be done. <laughs> like Yay. a lot of, yeah, a lot of the, like the fear, I guess that I had before that I was like, Oh, you know, this will never work. Like she's, she's just like, she's, you know, when, when you're going through it, like you just need that other person to be like, Nope, tomorrow will come. Tomorrow's going to be great. Tomorrow is um, exactly what you need it to be. You are perfect. I'm doing great. I don't need anything from you. Here's all my support, but it's not black and white like that. Like most of the time, if she's struggling with something, I'm also kind of struggling with it or something similar. So that's something we're working on right now is um, we actually like say to each other, I'm having a really hard time with this and I need you to be the rock or, and there is space. And, and those two like options seem to be working a little bit better for us. Um, Cause yeah, I'd say like 80% of the time, it's just one of us struggling with something, but that really helps us win. Uh, like, I mean, we're, we're also a married couple, right? Like we deal with challenges together as a family. One just happened to us. My, our dog was just diagnosed with cancer um, a couple weeks ago and we, we both sort of entered it with different, we were both overwhelmed. <laughs> this is our, this is our baby has cancer. So, ah, um, and at first I could, I could tell like she was really trying to be like just the rock for all of us. And I was the one crying. I was the one reaching out to family and friends, um, for advice and all this stuff. Um, and then finally we just had a talk. I was like, Hey, like there is space. This is your dog too. <laughs> yeah. This is our family you know yeah it's not i'm not gonna fall apart if you also fall apart because this is just massively hard for both of us in fact it made us stronger so um yeah that's kind of what it looks like in real life oh, what a gift to her to say that like hey you can fall apart too i'm still here i'm falling apart but that's okay i'm here yeah because the illusion is that it's just us right that it's just me and her and our, in our marriage and our family. There are so many people around us who are, who are willing and want to help. And all we have to do is just raise it up the flag, you know, put the, put the flag out to say, Hey, like we need help right now, please. 
And, and yeah, that's, we get in our own ways too much sometimes when we're trying to like be the rock for someone else. It's like, you know, we're actually a whole bunch of boulders living in a community of, of mountains. <laughs> All we got to do is just connect with each other. I think you should write, a ch- there's a children's book right there. I think if you're looking for another project. <laughs> you're recording this, right? <laughs> Absolutely. You know, what you mentioned earlier about, because you, you mentioned about the teasing in your life and you kind of set the rule of like, you know, don't ever get a gain from from my teasing. I've noticed that. And I don't know if it's a pet peeve of mine, but I, when you brought that up, I realized it bothers me so much how we, and I don't know if it's just like the relationships I've been exposed to. This is very subjective, I suppose. But I feel like that is the norm where you get a couple, just your average couple. Um, and I don't think it even matters how long they've been together. And there's just that, I don't know what it is that bothers me, but there's that like, yeah, when that person, like it's 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 been normalized for the partner to do just that, to tease them or in a social setting to like belittle them or to suggest they are, in, you know, uh, less than the person doing the tease for for. I guess the betterment of the group or the betterment of them, the person doing the teasing. But I've just, that always strikes me as like, I know we don't live in like an I perfect world, but like, what's the point of that? Like, there's no support there. I mean, like, unless that person enjoys feeling that way, but if you're in a group of six, seven, eight, nine people and you're purposely teasing them to get a, a rise, like you said, a, the gain of the rest, I just, yeah, that bothers me. Like, what's the, no good comes of that for that relationship. I feel like you're not actually pushing each other up there. Like, I don't know. I suppose this is a rant of my own, but you, no, I agree with you there. Sounds like your experience was very similar to, to mine. And I won't, I will not say uh, which relationships exemplified it the most to me, but I'll say they were very significant relationships where I saw, where as a child, I saw this like just normalized as a, um, uh, this is just a way, this is just how couples interact with each other. And um, uh, I did not know <laughs> that couples like did not have to cut each other down in order to elevate themselves. And so what I have been trying to study more as an adult is what I believe to be the key to um, solving that. At least it's helping me <laughs> live a, um, a happier, more hopeful life than, uh, I don't know, the Lizzie Guido who teases her spouse just to get like a, a short laugh, but a very, also a very short marriage. Um, it's self-love. <laughs> I, I honestly do not. I, I think... I think 99% of human behavior is just us projecting our own stuff onto other people and the people we can do that best with. And we have the most access to, and the people who, who actually it's like very, very hard for them to leave us. They actually have to get a lawyer. They have to go through some paperwork is our spouse. (laughs) So as human beings, we will always want to have power over other human beings so our brains just attach it to this one person. So I believe the remedy, um, the only remedy is self-love, is um, for the teaser to love themselves, understand why they haven't loved themselves in the past, and get to a place where they can love themselves and if they can figure that out, not only will they stop teasing everyone, um, but they will start to see all this teasing everywhere in our communities. And they'll try and change it. Because self-love is like, I mean, humans are narcissistic creatures, right? Like, if you tell me to care about Lizzie Guido, I'm going to care about Lizzie Guido. <laughs> um, and... I tell you what, the more I love myself, the more I seem to be surrounded by people who also love themselves, who are interested in not having teasing in their environments, who are willing to talk to their parents about how their teasing makes them feel. 
Um, it's this pretty amazing ripple effect, but I don't think, I think it always has to come from within. And every time I see a teaser, I see someone who does not love themselves. And I, and now that gives me a lot of power because now I am sad for them. I am not allowing them to use the teasing to have control over me, which is a big difference. As you started talking there and you said, you know, maybe, maybe I have a similar background and I start and you, I start thinking, oh my God, it's totally from my parents. I'm like, that's exactly like, I just, I started visualizing like it all like life flashed by in like the, the 30 seconds at the beginning of you talking there. I was like, <laughs> oh, <laughs> mm-hmm. which yeah. there could be a whole other conversation, but uh, becoming a parent when, when I mm-hmm. became a parent now far enough in seven, my daughter's seven, my son's 11. So mm-hmm. you truly realize like I started to reflect on my life, just how much we are shaped by our parents. And I, I, I wouldn't even, I don't want to say just parents, but caretakers and those that we spend our most time with in our, what you would call your immediate family, whatever your situation was growing up. In my case, obviously, it was my parents, my siblings, but it's, the reason I bring it up is because it's just, it's such a, a perspective shift when you become a parent and then you realize the, the weight of that responsibility of, I want to make sure that I use that for good. Like I want my kids to see great role models and great relationships and great communication and like, you know, mm-hmm. give them a great foundation for them to build upon however they wish. Um, but yeah, when you were saying that, I was like, Oh, my parents, that mm-hmm. makes sense. <laughs> yeah. Well, I'm reading a book right now that you might like very much because it's, it's, I put too much of this blame on my parents generally um, because they are the easy target. They are, they are the people I know who taught me these things. Uh, But this book I'm reading right now is really helping me see broader than that. And I'm on this chapter right now. That's like, Hey reader, it would be really easy (laughs) to attach all of these strong feelings you have at your parents and blame (laughs) them for the rest of your life for these things that are your wiring. (laughs) And I'm here to tell you, don't do that. Instead, do this. Um, the book is called The Body is Not an Apology. Have you read that yet? No, I haven't heard of this one. No. Throw it on the list. Um, what she basically argues right after that sentence is 99.9% of um, that influence is from media. So the portion that our parents put on to us is also from media. And that is a perspective I have had to completely wow. change. There is money to be made if we feel shameful about our own bodies, about our own selves. Once we start to unpack who those individuals are, why they benefit off of our shame, there's a lot of power there in the, the opposite, which is self-love. And self-love is like, I don't know, 400 times more contagious and powerful than any like self shame could ever be. But that is, that is the age old war, right? Between hate and love. We're not taught how to uh, find the love tools because they're, they just work way, 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 way better. So I don't know if that helps you, but like, I think it's important to hold that responsibility of parenthood very high and know that you're only influencing about like 0.01% <laughs> of what your child is actually absorbing. That's good to know. That that helps. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I got you, boo. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. You mentioned earlier about opening um, uh, like a community theater or a gathering space locally. And I thought that was so beautiful. Why? I'm just curious um, what inspired like the theater idea? Did you like as a kid hang out at a theater or is there something I'm just, again, I'm very visual with you today for some reason. I'm just picturing this little theater in a neighborhood and Lizzie's smiling at the door and welcoming <laughs> everybody in. And I'm mm-hmm. uh, just curious why, uh, where the, where the inspiration for that is. Yeah. The story. Um, so it, it, it's related to me asking me myself this big question, like, like who am I, what will I have done by the end of these 80 ish years that I have on this planet. Um, it came to me a couple years ago. Uh, I was at a point 
where I had um, used corporate America for exactly what I wanted for. It got me um, self-sufficient. It got me enough money to pay for all of my expenses in life. Um, but I very much knew what I was doing for a living was not giving me happiness. It was just checking uh, an expenses box more than anything. <laughs> Allowing um, you to survive, so to speak. Seriously. And for 40 hours a week, I I wanted to push myself. I was like, no, you know what? Lizzie, you can do better than that. Like, what, what is what is happiness? Like, what would a happy life be if every day, like, I woke up and went to work and was happy doing it? I felt like I was I was giving this world what I was um, sort of made to give it. Right. Um, spoiler alert: like, it was not partner marketing within capitalism for a tech company that, you know, sells software, like, it just wasn't it. So I was like, what is it? You know, what is it that clearly, that's like the thing I'm good at, but what is like happiness? So I have always found (laughs) that those answers could only come in moments of peace. So um, I, I did, I took like a week off over some like holiday time. And instead of going on a trip somewhere, I just called it like my week. I was like, okay, this is your week. Like do whatever you need to do to figure out that, that big question, what is happiness and what, what, what could it be at work? Um, and at the time I was living in, um, I think I was living in Seattle and I just moved from Boston, Massachusetts. And I was really missing, um, when I lived in Massachusetts, there was a community movie theater in my neighborhood that um, I could pay like 200 bucks a year and Monday through Thursday, I could go to the movies for free. And I was thinking about that. And uh, when I lived in Boston, like that was my thing, you know, some people like get really stressed out of work and, and then they're like, okay, I want to go for a run or I'll go to orange theory or, you know, insert activity here, uh, ping pong class, like whatever it is. <laughs> Um, for me, it was always the movies. It was always like, man, what a rough Tuesday on the way home. I'm going to catch a movie, sit by myself in a dark room and just recharge and like watch Top Gun or whatever, you know, whatever's on the, on the ticket. And that just got me thinking, I was like, oh man, okay. Well, if that's your happy, like every time I get overwhelmed, every time I get, um, every time I want to check out of the world I'm currently in, it's always back into this space, like the world of movies, something magical about that. Um, and so I just got started thinking, I was like, what, what if, like, what if, like every day you woke up and what if it was your movie theater and you could just like roll out of bed and like flip on the projector and like get the popcorn machine going, like, <laughs> could that be it? Um, and I still don't know if it's true, but man, it sounds like pretty, pretty fun and and at the worst it's like a really rad chapter in my story to write and why not try so uh so yeah so that's that's sort of why uh and then I did go to I did go to school I did go to a business school so when I do zoom out and I think like am I capable of this can can I do cool dream Lizzie but like can you do it um I actually look around at like restaurant owners and I say, Oh my gosh, they could like, why couldn't I, you know, someone who's just like opening up their first Chinese food restaurant for the first time in ever people who are opening their first like taco truck. Like I'm surrounded by people who are doing exactly what I want to do in my own life. Um, And to kind of go back on the, like, who I am and what I was raised with. I am an upper middle-class white college educated with a business degree with like 10 to 15, uh, I think we're at 10 years of corporate America experience. Like seems like I've got enough tools in my tool belt to kind <laughs> to of add them at all least together to make a movie theater cool. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Like why not? Why not? Why not? Yeah. 
why not? If why not was like the only reason, why not give it a shot? That's so inspiring what you just said about all the restaurant owners around us, all in our neighborhoods and in our towns. Like, seriously. When, yeah, when you think about that, I mean, the dry cleaners, the laundromat, the the Chinese place, the taco place, like all of these small businesses, you know, created by local citizens. I mean, and not to say they're not like, if they went out and tried it, yeah, why can't? Why can't I? Why can't you? That's I'm going to think about that every time now that I, you know, want to do something and think about, well, who else is out there, you know, trying to do something like that too and, you know, what's why not? What's stopping you? Yeah. And I think it's what makes us uh if you want to believe anything in the American dream, there's something kind of beautiful there that you Yeah. You could be my mom, right? You can lift yourself up from one class into another. I do not believe that that is true. <laughs> But I believe there are like these rare moments um, when we can. And I, yeah, I think that is just, I don't think we need pyramids and pyramids and pyramids of like corporate America employees just running on the rat wheel. Like what if our communities were filled with people who were, who were um, doing jobs because it brought them joy. Like, I just, I just have to believe in that, that, that as one of our America brands, like work, you know, um, pull yourself up by your bootstraps, like make the life you want to live. That feels very like an American propaganda point. I, I say, yeah, let's do it. Let's like, I, I want to do it. <laughs> Lizzie, thank you so much for having this conversation today and especially after doing the renovations in your house this weekend and having a long weekend. Thanks for still joining me today. I appreciate it. And, and thank you for just being you seriously. Like you, I so much inspiration from this conversation with you, like for chatting with you for an hour is just mind blowing. So thank you. Thank you. Thank you. I'm so glad. Well, thank you for having me. This was really awesome. You can find all episodes of We're Only Human at we'reonlyhumanpodcast.com, on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen to your podcasts.